Listening to the sermon podcast from Real Life on the Palouse, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. So we're diving into our uh, chapter four of apostleship. This is an interesting title: the true or the nature of true apostleship. So where have we been? If you're new with us or just checking us out, we've been diving into the book of uh, Corinthians, the first book of Corinthians. We learned a lot about the city of Corinth, and remember, these are real people. In a real place, in a real time, this happened. And we talked about what was Corinth like. If you uh, smash the port city of San Francisco with the lifestyle of Las Vegas, that would be Corinth. Corinth was a derogatory term. These were not the folks that you would think, like, oh, it's just these nice little Christian folks. No, nope. temples, goddesses, everything, all this is. And Paul spends time here. He invests his life and his soul and his heart here, and he wants, he's writing back. He's writing back to this church. And there's lots of strong corrections, right? He called them big babies. He called them lots of things that you and I wouldn't like to be called. We talked about what does it look like to be correctable. We talked about what does it look like for this to be the temp, you're the temple, that you are the temple. And so... Interesting uh, word title, what is an apostle? It's a person sent. And I've been sent to many things for many purposes. I was sent to beautiful Colville, Washington when I was 16 years old to go spend some time with my dad. And I kind of fell in love with the area and some of the friends. And me being sent there led me to marry this girl named Carrie Ann Koo. 25 plus, almost six years ago. I was sent I didn't necessarily know what I was being sent for, but I was sent. I was put on a pathway. And fast forward another time I was sent, I was sent to the beautiful uh, state of Montana. And I was sent over there, I thought, to build an insurance organization. But really what happened is I started a flood and a fire of small groups that have relational discipleship DNA. God started it through me. And I know there's 40, 50, 60, 70 of those groups just running all over Western Washington now. Still going because I was sent, but I thought I was sent for a different reason. I wasn't even in the ministry yet. And I was sent here to Moscow, Idaho in 2012. Broken, beat up, needed to be molded, as you are seen needed to be molded, needed to be corrected, needed to be moved forward to be healed and to be used. And I was sitting here to meet many of you. This uh, last week I was on my way home before last Sunday. I came in late Saturday night. I was driving back from beautiful St. Louis, Missouri across that very fabulous state of Kansas. You get your GPS and it says 504 miles straight. So I spent the night with our good friend Aaron Couch in Denver. Uh, it was my stop, St. Louis to Denver. Yes, I made it that far. And I got a chance to listen to a, a, a book. Shocker. I had a spare 13 hours on my hand. And I was listening to this book uh, by Andy Stanley called Visioneering. And uh, it was a good book for me, and I was ready to hear what he had to say. When you're sent with a purpose with a passion, with a direction from the Lord, nothing can stop you. Nothing. Plans may change. Methods may change. People may change. 
how you get what you accomplish or what God had you to accomplish may not look how you thought it was going to be. But vision, yes, the vision, the vision, the depth of heart, that does not change. That is the true north. You are the vision of what God wanted for this world. I often talk about that it's not about necessarily what you were saved from. I mean, if, you're, if, you're, if you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're saved from this place called hell, which is eternal separation from our Father in heaven. But he didn't just save you from something for no other reason. He saved you for, for a purpose. He has plans for you to do things, not at just a hobby-level commitment. Wherever your two feet are, wherever your temple is in your heart and you're representing God, he has a plan for you. For purpose, on purpose. And in my mind, life is much more than what you were just saved from. That's good. We got work to do here at Real Life on the Palouse. And you have work to do wherever you came from to visit from your, from, if you're visiting from out of town. Good works, God calls it. Protecting a temple and filling this temple with his thoughts, with his purposes, his ways. He does the sending and he sent you. He sent you. I don't know if you believe that. I don't know if you believe you were sent for a purpose, with purpose. Let's dive into the text, the true nature of apostleship. This then is how you ought to regard us. He's talking about himself and Apollos. This is how you should regard us after he just had a great visit with him in chapter three. As servants of Christ, as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Servants. Call me servant. So the word here for servant literally means under rower. Um, there's a picture, if we can show that picture, just throw that in there, guys. You might recognize this uh, movie. You might recognize who that is up front. That's a rather young Charlton Heston, right? An under rower. And that's what an under rower is, is they are down there and they're just plowing away. They're plowing away. They're working as unto the master. But the word for servant here is not necessarily that of a slave. So this guy, if I remember right in the movie, was chained. They're chained to the bottom there, and they're going. But the word there for servant and underrower is not necessarily like a captured slave, but it's a, it's, a, it's a free person under submission to God's purpose and his will. So Paul says, I'm a free person, but I'm under submission to God's purpose and his will when he uses that word servant. I heard it described as one who acts under direction and asks no question, one who does the thing he is appointed to do without hesitation, and one who reports only to the one who is over him. A Christ-like servant is focused on what Christ has for them to do. What does Christ have for you to do? Is that a question that you ask yourself? What is your part to play? Verse 2, now it is required that those who have been uh, given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring 
to light what is hidden in the darkness. And he will expose the motives of the heart. And at that time, each will receive their praise from God. Let that settle in. We are called to give an account for our lives, right? We're going to give an account for our lives. What did you do with what God has given you and the skills and talents and giftings? What did you do with it? How did you partner with other believers to move the kingdom from chaos to order? A personal point I feel like the Lord gave me this week. Living living a life looking over your shoulder and worrying about what everyone thinks about you can be very dangerous to you. It can take your focus off of your focus. It can take your focus off of what God sent you to do, off of what God has built you to do. When we're what God has called us to do and we're acting in that, in that manner, we're a good temple. We're a good representation of what God would have for us because we're doing his will and his purpose. So how do you know? How do, I just want to know. Just tell me what to do, Josh. I can't tell you what God's will and purpose is for you. I'm not even remotely near God as far as like, I don't know those things, but, but God will reveal that to you, but not with a hobby level commitment of Christianity, not by being a Christian in name, but by being a a, a hearer of the word, by submitting yourself to Christ. When we seek the approval of man, how many people liked my sermon? You notice if you ever came up to me after service, you're like, good sermon, pastor. I'm like, praise God. Whew. I am, I am thrilled that that was good for you. Sometimes I want to, want to puke. Sometimes I want to crawl in a hole. Sometimes I'm just like, oh, oh no. no, praise God. I'm glad you got something out of that. Thank goodness that God's word never comes back void. Right? But it's to his praise Because it's not about the oration of some great teacher. It's about the softening of our hearts and our minds and his word. It's about what happened during worship to you. Were you submitted to what we were singing about? Were you analyzing it? Were you judging it? Were you looking at it? Were you doing all those things? It's fun to to talk with our worship team after or my, my, uh, on Monday we debrief and Greg will be like, oh, we just totally blew it during that first service or whatever he says. And I'm like, I didn't notice anything. I didn't even know, well, we missed this thing, we missed this thing. I'm like, I was crying and worshiping God. So are you preparing your hearts during that time? Are you worried about uh, your Instagram posts and how many followers you have or your sermon or your pictures? And take the picture up here because it will show less of my chins. (laughs) There were some pictures taken this weekend, was there not, for graduation? You're like, okay, wait. So the calf muscles off. I don't see, Brian, you don't do that on your pictures. You're not like. But are we worried about whatever everybody else thinks or are we worried about what God thinks? I was thinking about Nehemiah, a Jewish leader who supervised the rebuilding of the temple. Here's some of the things I was pulling out of Nehemiah that I was connecting uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. He was sensitive to the heart of God. 
Nehemiah 2, 2, he was, he, the, the, the king noticed that he was sad and his face was sad and downcast. Why are you sad and downcast? Well, because the temple of where my ancestors are buried and everything lies in ruins. Oh. He was, he was bold enough. He was bold enough to share with the king if you so kindly would you know, allow me to do this what God had called them to do. Are you bold enough to share with people what God has called you to do? Do you know what he's called you to do? What a great journey to go on. And when you know when he's called, what he's called you to do, are you bold enough to say it? Sometimes I'm scared up here. I have lots of great ideas. But I need to focus that vision. Am I bold enough to cast out that vision in front of all of you? So he's bold enough to share. He asks, the, the king says, what do you want? Well, let me tell you. Nehemiah uh, 2, verse 29, your notes, because this is all bonus stuff, uh, says, uh, we, his servants... We his servants? Wait a minute. Are we talking about servants again? Are we talking about wills submitted to God? We his servants will start rebuilding. We his servants will start rebuilding. Nehemiah chapter uh, 4, verse 2. He gets mocked and ridiculed. He ridiculed the Jews and in the presence of his associates. He ridiculed. You're not going to be able to accomplish that. Do you know how to keep... Crabs in a bucket, put more than one in there. They keep pulling each other back down. But you're going to be ridiculed for your vision. If it's a God-sized vision, you, you should be ridiculed for it. Because when it gets accomplished, it should show who your God was. It was hard work under distress, verse four twenty or chapter 4, verse 21. So we continued the work with half the men holding spears, from the first light or until dawn, until the stars come out. They had to set up, there was so much against them, they had to half their workforce to just protect it so they can continue on with the vision. So they could continue on with the mission. It was hard work. God's vision and purpose for you is probably going to be hard work. If it's super easy, I would, quite, I would, have, I would step back and, like, this has been hard work here at the church. It comes at a great cost. Nehemiah chapter 5, it comes at a great cost. People were losing their farms. They were losing their livelihood. They were even losing their family members to debt to rebuild the, the, the wall. Vision has a cost. In chapter 6, verse 3, Says, uh, or excuse me, chapter, chapter 6, verse 3 says, I am carrying on with this great project, and I cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? He's getting pulled, dragged down. Hey, wait, just hold on. Stop right there. Nope, I can't. There's a great purpose for what's going on in our country. There's a great purpose for what's going on in Moscow. There's a great purpose. I can't be deterred from it. Are we focused? Devoting yourselves. What is your great heavenly project? Great doesn't mean size and scope, but do you hear him? 
Are you part of something that's bigger than yourself? More than just attendance. Let's go back to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. It says, Now, brothers and sisters, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of saying, Do not go beyond what is written. We are walking the talk. We are smoking what we're selling. We're all in. We're doing it too. The staff of our church is doing discipleship. They're not paid to do discipleship. They're doing discipleship like before they got here. We're doing it too. We're equipping and, and, and casting vision and moving things forward the best that we can. We're, we got to walk the walk. We got to walk the talk. Then you will not be puffed up in being a follower of one of us over another. For who makes a, a, you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did not receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? What were you before you recognized Jesus Christ? If that's your case today. What was your life like? Stop and think about it. Go to your life prior to knowing God. What were you about? Or if you walked away from Jesus, that you've, oh, I've been a Christian my whole life. Cool, awesome, praise God. But have you ever walked away from him? Do you have any puffiness in your spirit? I didn't like that question this week. Yes, I do. And I needed to deflate some of my puffiness in my spirit. Where do you think that you're above someone else? Do you think you're above someone else? That's not what a servant does. A servant is there to lift other people up too. The same guy, Paul, who wrote, uh, who wrote this, he wrote, actually wrote this in Corinth, Romans 12, 1, 3, not in your notes, bonus text, mm-mm. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, I love how he does that, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Clay, pot, canvas, So let me ask you this. What is the renewing of your mind plan that you are currently involved in? How are you renewing your mind? Are you intentional about the renewing of your mind? Because if you are, this is a good point here, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Humble service in the body of Christ. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought to, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Do we have sober judgment about what we are? We are a cog in the wheel of what God is trying to do here, but we have to do our part. 
Paul goes on to say back in First uh, uh, Corinthians chapter four. I'll summarize this a little bit, uh, verses eight through thirteen. You have begun to reign. We are fools for Christ, but you are wise in Christ. He goes to this this diatribe about, oh, well, you're you're so much this, and we're so much this. You're so much this, and we're so much this. He's trying to cast this point across, and he's like, guys and gals, come on. Come on. You know what? We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world right up to this moment. But we're kingdom garbage. Being the garbage of the king is pretty awesome garbage. He sees you. He sees you. He's pursuing you. You know it. You know he's knocking on the door of your heart at different points in time. Are you there to answer? Finishing off Paul's appeal and warning. I picture Paul not just writing this out like, okay, no, he's not writing, he's telling the scribe, but I just picture his face and his heart like he is pleading. He cares so much about these folks. He cares so much about the kingdom of God. He is pleading and he says, I am, not, I am writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children, a term of endearment. I love you so much. Don't take this as shame. Take this as a cry to protect God's reputation. Be different. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. Do this because it is good fruit. Be a servant. For this reason I have sent you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. It's not just you guys. I'm going to send my best to you, my son. Somebody I view as my son to remind you what God has called you to be. Some of you have become arrogant as if I were not coming to you, but I will come to you very soon if the Lord is willing and then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, uh, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk at all. It's not a matter of talk, uh, of power. What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a rod of discipline or shall I come to you in love and with a gentle spirit? Uh, Love and gentle spirit would be fantastic. (laughs) I prefer that one. But sometimes I need the rod of discipline. Do you see his heart? Please, please, please be careful with God's reputation. Be careful how, how you're acting towards others. Be careful to know the word. Be careful to be involved. Be careful to, to spend that time to be molded and transformed by the renewing of your minds, to be molded like the, the song we sang. See, Paul was frustrated with his folks. So focus on what really matters. Focus on your focus. Focus on your focus. Now, what is that focus? How do I know what God's will is? We'll read Romans 12 again. Unity comes when we all, when all y'all, all of us imitate Christ. 
Remember, these believers were coming out of a a God-soaked culture of a Roman empire. Religion was embodied everywhere, every aspect of their culture. Of course we judge. After all, our culture is built on a hierarchy of where everyone ranked socially and economically. Totally, that's so 100s. Not now. We don't do that now, those guys. I'm so glad Paul corrected them so we could not struggle with the same things. Of course we judge. Of course we boast. This is how we show the world what our power is. Think about last week's message. Paul is teaching and correcting and challenging these believers. The kingdom of God is not about uh, who is the best orator. It's not about rivalry or who you follow or what size of church you have or any of those things. The kingdom of God is about what you're doing with these two feet and this heart and this mind and these hands. And how we're serving our community well. You will only advance the kingdom of God when you follow the path of Christ. Otherwise, you're advancing something else. And you can't follow the path of Christ with a hobby-level commitment. You can't follow the path of Christ just because you call yourself a Christian. I think I said this before, but you know, thinking about uh, my daughter and, and, and people getting married and those things and even giving advice to my son, I'm like, don't marry somebody who says they're a Christian. Marry somebody who, has the, who acts godly. Because we can put on Christian in name and not act godly. So quit judging, dividing into factions, loyal to one or another, certain teachers. Quit boasting about your status. Quit taking uh, and, and begin to grow through God's spirit, the power of God. So we don't need babysitters, right? Paul's like, you need a bunch of babysitters. Nope. Make a choice. And we have the same choice to make. What temple prostitutes are we worshiping? What is taking our focus off of our focus? Because we are either advancing God's kingdom or we're dragging it back into chaos. We're either advancing God's kingdom or we're dragging it back into chaos. Let's advance. Let's take some risk. Let's see what God will do with our faith. I want us to take some time to sit in communion together. So if you have your elements, go ahead and uh, open those up. We have an open table at our church. If you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we are so excited. Uh, If you haven't, you're just going to let that pass by. They'll be bringing some out if you need some gluten-free stuff or anything like that. We have guys walking down the aisles. And just raise your hand if you missed that. But today I want to do something different, uh, a little different in communion for us. I want us to take some time as a group to go and prepare our minds and kind of go into directed prayer. I'll give you 10 seconds to open up your communion elements. Let's come to the table Let's examine our hearts. Let's see where our focus is. Father God, I know on a weekly basis we take communion and I never, ever, 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 ever want that to be taken lightly. I 
I ask all of you here with me right now, as you're holding these elements in your hands, I want you to pray for someone who needs what you have in your hand, not the cracker, not the juice, but the very freedom from sin that it represents. God, I ask you just lay the name of someone on every person in here. Lay the name of that person on their heart right now. Who is it, God, that needs that freedom? Lord, I ask you make a pathway for that. I ask you move mountains. You open up communication. You give boldness and encouragement Show us and use us to make a way to introduce them to you and your saving grace. Father God, we hold elements in your hands. But I'll never forget the fact that you healed me. That you are the healer, that you heal in your name, Jehovah Rapha. You heal. You are the healing God. You heal those in this very room that are hurting. Lord, I ask for physical healing to happen. I ask for relational healing to happen. And in every way, Lord, that you would just make a way. And if there's folks that need to go make things right, Lord, they would pocket that communion and they would seek to to repair relationships. They would seek restoration in your powerful name before we come to the table, Lord. Your word says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Lord, we come to you. We come to you, some of us burdened. Some of us need rest. I ask that we be the shade trees that your people can rest under. That we provide a safe place in our mouths, in our minds, in our heads for people to rest and meet you. And Lord, we ask for your forgiveness and we relish, we relish in your goodness. Father God, we just come to you as we celebrate you and your sacrifice for us. Help us to know that we are sent. Help us to walk like we are sent with a purpose from you. Lord, help us to make your name great. As we come to the table, the Lord Jesus on the night he was retreated, he took that bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you, do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember how he was sent for us. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. For whenever you drink, or eat this bread and drink this cup, you are proclaiming Lord's death until he comes. We proclaim your purpose, your plans. Lord, thanks again for this time. Thanks for bringing uh, the people that you brought here today. 
I ask that they would be abundantly blessed beyond all measure. I ask that you would uh, show them how much you love them this week. I would ask that, that, that we move off of uh, hobby-level commitments and we move to, to just full-time vision and purpose of what you'd have for us, that you are not, you don't view us as your hobby. You view us as your prized, special creation, Lord. Lord, help me view you to better as, as the creator that you are. So I ask for your hand upon this body. I ask your hand upon these people in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by visiting liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.